0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you are new with us, welcome. If you are not new, uh, welcome back. We are starting a new series today called Disconnected. You see that over here and you see that behind me. Before we get into that, as Brad mentioned, uh, we're sort of launching into the fall and there's a lot going on. Uh, ways to plug in, ways to connect. And one of those key ways for us is community groups. And so I want to introduce you to a couple of our community group leaders this morning so you can find out what they're like. And if you're not in one, uh, get in one of theirs or get in another one. So I'm going to invite up those couple leaders right now. Would you guys welcome them up with me? So heading up on the stage is uh, Ron Groth and Dave Lang. They lead a group uh, near South Mountain, Uh, and Nancy as well, Jesse and Sarah Johnson, host a group in Central Phoenix, actually just right around the corner, right? Uh, And their leader is Sean Wang, and don't look up at him because you will be blinded. It will hurt your retina. Uh, He's up there making things work, and so these guys as hosts are going to represent their group as well. But if you guys would just share each, uh, some details about your group, what a typical night looks like, what you're excited about.
1: Okay, so our group uh, meets just within sight, within a rock's throw of South Mountain, at Shelley and Guyon's house, and uh, everything you see is gonna say we meet on Thursday, but we just had a poll, and uh, yeah. we changed. So we're gonna be meeting on Tuesday, but same time, same place, uh, 6.30. And uh, so about our group, uh, oh yes, we have dinner. Uh, so, and it's, it's really uh, wide-ranging. I mean, somebody comes up with an idea, we're all on Group Me and so we uh, start chatting about, well, let's try this, let's have tacos, let's have, you know, barbecue. So we do all that sort of thing. And uh, that will usually take the first part of the, the time. And then we, uh, we go over prayer requests, and then we go over uh, the message from Pastor Tim. So we have a great time of fellowship. We get to know each other, and we're really excited
2: about that. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. the The food is delicious, and um, I'm excited just that it's going to be earlier in the week. Sometimes I can't even wait till Thursday to just have that sense of community. Um, my name's Dave, and uh, I'm from Michigan. So um, my family is like is here, being away from home, and so it's just a great chance to. Uh, You know, have community, and I think this message is timely. Um, This disconnectedness. I know a lot of times I have to fight the urge to just uh, put the blinders on and do it myself, and just go in isolation. But being a part of this group has really been awesome to me because um, you know we're we're not fully loved unless we're fully known, and so once we know each other, we can kind of do life with each other. It really makes that vulnerability and openness to share um, the word and the gospel with one another and just have some laughs and uh, good times in groups. So it's been really enriching. I would uh, exhort and encourage you guys. If you're new here, I've seen a couple new faces just to get plugged in and uh, just meet some new people and uh, go about life, just see what God does with that. So I'm excited for this fall and the group. If you have any questions, come see us afterwards. Amen. Thank you. Hey guys,
3: uh, I'm Jesse, this is my wife Sarah. We really do live just down the street, it's super close. We were super excited when we moved um, because we're like, you should pick this place. This place is great, <laughs> it's so good. Um, so yeah, we literally drive like two minutes um, and we're here. Uh, so yeah, our, uh, our group, we meet Wednesdays at 6.30. Um, the address is up there, it's uh, 2130 West Minnesota Avenue. Um, we would love to have you guys join us. Uh, usually our, our structure sounds awful similar to theirs. Um, I will say our food, no offense, is probably better. Mm. Um, and that's only because it is the best food. We, uh, <laughs> we kind of rotate around the, the um, couples or individuals that are in our group who brings main course. And we um, support that main course with some sides brought by everybody else. Um, and even Sean will bring uh, wings from Papa John's. It's pretty mm-hmm. great. Um, so yeah, we we have a good time. <laughs> Sorry, we got to give him our time. He's he's new as our leader, so we gotta uh, you know we gotta bug him a little bit. After dinner, we will uh, while we're still at the table, we'll talk about uh, prayer requests and praise reports. Uh, then from there, we'll move to the couch, get a little more comfortable, and engage in discussion based on the sermon. Um, something I'm excited about is what I kind of just mentioned. I'm really excited that Sean has taken over as our leader. Um, we're gonna well he's not going anywhere. We're going to miss Samson as our leader. Um, He's taken on some other responsibilities, and we're really excited for that. We're also really excited for Sean to start leading. Um, It's ridiculous that that guy is like uh, like 14 years old. He's so young. (laughs) He's not 14. Um, I think he's 21. You can tell me later if I'm wrong. He's so young, but he's so wise. Sometimes we call him Sean Piper. He's so smart. It's... um, I kind of want to encourage him to grow a really long beard and color it gray, so then I'll be more comfortable with how wise he is. Um, So, yeah, obviously we have a lot of fun. It's a great group, and we would love for you guys to join us.
0: Awesome. Great descriptions. Hey, these are just two of our groups. Uh, All of them are in the Connect, uh, by the Connect desk. We have a community group cork board that's a map, and you can pull different cards with all the information of all of our groups. And then these guys... We'll be back there afterwards as well to answer any questions you may have. But if you like, well, that's too intimidating, Tim. I don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, just grab a card uh, and, and show up at one of these groups this week. And I want to do something. I want to pray for these guys before they take a seat. As they lead, host these groups, they experience community, but they are leading out in community. And we want to pray for them. That's a blessing on their lives. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, God, I pray for these two groups. I pray for the hosts of these groups who open up their home. Every week and show hospitality to one another. Uh, God, I pray for uh, just the business of their life and uh, the needs they have, and um, as well as our our leaders for community and the fact that you give them community with yourself vertically, but you extend that horizontally. And they're leading out in that to love, to care, to serve people. And so, God, I pray that you would bless them. Pray you would bless these two groups, bless all of our group leaders, Uh, bless Sean up in the balcony as he takes a step in leading on these groups and. And God, I pray for these men and women, that all the excuses that are running through their mind of why they shouldn't or couldn't come to one of these groups, God, you would help them to see this as a priority, that relationship with you and relationship with others is what we are designed for. And they would jump in one of these groups this week, and you would bless it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Would you thank them again? All right, well, we are starting a new series called Disconnected. And and really the idea is this, that if you look at the landscape of our culture, that uh, with technology and all sorts of things, we are able to connect more easily than ever before. Yet if you really look a little bit closer, we are often more disconnected than ever before. And so through these next few weeks, we want to talk about why that is and what is keeping us, what's the gap that's keeping us disconnected. And so we're going to talk about things like conflict racism, sexuality, technology, over these next four weeks. So we invite you back to make it all four weeks as we navigate these complex issues. And some of you, even as, as I said some of those words, you're like, Tim, you know that's going to be controversial, right? That's, that's going to be a little bit hard, awkward to talk about. But here's, here's the reality. Here's why we're talking about this. It's not to be controversial. It's not to be trendy. It's to be biblical, That the reality is we talk about conflict, sexuality, racism, technology, and every other sphere of life but the church without the word of God. And so here's what we need to do is we need to engage culture, engage the controversy, but do it with a biblical lens, with a gospel framework. And see, the gospel doesn't just change our vertical relationship with God. It informs and affects every horizontal relationship we have, even the most difficult parts of them. So I invite you back for this whole series as we navigate these difficult issues. Today is conflict. Uh, We're going to do that from Romans 12, 14 through 18. Ron read it just a bit ago. If you don't have a Bible out yet, please get one out. There's some at those two tables in the back. Pull one up on your phone. Romans in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 14 through 18. And we are parachuting in here, so let me give you a little bit of background. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a broad audience of Christians that are trying to grow in their faith. And if you go back a little bit in Romans chapter 12, you see Paul giving all these marks of a Christian, uh, what it means to live out your Christian faith. And as you look at them, things like love with brotherly affection, contribute to the needs of others, all these marks of a Christian aren't individually marks, they're relationally marks. That you are created for relationship. There is no such thing as a Christian who follows Jesus and grows in Jesus in isolation. That all of the marks of what it means to be a Christian get worked out, get expressed in love. And contributing to the needs of others. They involve other people. But then if you keep reading, look at verse 14 with me. Paul says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And so as we're reading all these things about how to love people, how to serve people, we get this gut check in verse 14. Love people, serve people, but there are some people who are going to persecute you. Even when you love them and serve them, you will have conflict. You see, conflict is something that applies to everyone in every season in every relationship. You think about marriage, dating, friendship, church, conflict applies to us all. The question is not if, it's when and how, right? When are you gonna experience conflict? How are you gonna respond to it? And that answer, and the reason why we're looking at this today and kicking off this series with this today is because your answer to that question, how will I respond to conflict? It's coming, how will I respond? The answer to that question will mean Success in relationships, thriving in your relationship with God, even navigating that conflict in a healthy way and becoming more unified with that other person, becoming stronger. Or it will mean struggling in relationships. Eventually, those relationships might die. And maybe you even say things like, it's just too hard. I mean, conflict's just too hard. I mean, relationships, just too messy. I mean, church, just too difficult. I I think I'm going to back up, step out. And then we experience insanity and isolation. Why? Because we we don't know how to handle conflict well. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to handle conflict Well, we're going to look at three points if you do take notes. uh, You have a bulletin. You have a connect card. You can take notes uh, right in the middle of that bulletin. You see some notes, uh, spaces, and living what we learn. Uh, The first point we're going to look at is this. Healthy conflict requires empathy and understanding. Empathy and understanding. Look back at verse 15 with me. Verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What Paul is describing here is is empathy, right? Empathy, the capacity to relate, even experience another person's feelings or situation. And so you have empathy, a little bit different than sympathy, right? Right? Sympathy is, is this. Sympathy is saying to the person over here struggling, from afar, I know that must be hard, right? Empathy is different than that. Empathy walks over to the person and says, I'm gonna experience this hardship with you. I'm going to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's, that's empathy. It's the capacity to, to understand and even feel someone's situation. If you think about it, in conflict, without empathy, we don't relate. Without empathy, we don't relate. Instead, we do one of two things we, we elevate. If we don't relate and say, hey, I understand you, we're on the same playing field in the midst of this conflict, if we don't relate we elevate sometimes and we look at that other person our spouse that friend that politician and we say hey I know I'm not perfect but you should be and when they hurt us and they don't respond how we think they should we are are devastated because we haven't empathized with them we've elevated them I remember doing this early on in my marriage Uh, Right before we got married, actually, uh, I was uh, speaking in ministry just like I am now. This is a long time ago, and I was super nervous to speak in front of people. And I remember my wife and I were about to get married. We had our wedding date, and then we had our honeymoon. And then I had one of my first speaking engagements after that, right? And so, but I started to think through that, and I was like, okay, I'm nervous right now, but guess what? I'm about to get married. And I'm about to go on my honeymoon and be naked and unashamed. And guess what? When I go and do that, when I get to marry this beautiful woman, when she fulfills me, then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to speak in front of these people. And my desire for approval is already going to be fulfilled completely with my wife. Like I'm going to have no need or no nervousness any longer. Because I'm going to be married. And I'm going to show up, and I'm just going to bring the pain, proclaim God's gospel boldly, no nervousness. It's not going to be about me at all, because I'm married. Now, what happened? I got married, honeymoon, naked and unashamed. It was great. (laughs) But I came back, and I stood in front of these people, and the nerves were still there. The the desire for approval was still there. Why? Why? Because people people cannot fill a God-sized hole. They cannot fulfill you or fix you. And sometimes when we don't empathize, we elevate and we, we put that on them. We project that on them that you need to do this as my spouse. You need to do this as my friend. And when you don't, there's a disconnect. Without empathy, we elevate people. But without empathy, we also diminish people. We don't just put them up on a pedestal, we put them below us. And instead of weeping with someone who weeps, we assess whether they have the right to weep. Instead of debating a point, we destroy a person. You ever been there? You ever seen this? Right? At a certain point in a conflict, in an argument, it's no longer... Debating a point, it's destroying that person, that that person, as they give you their thoughts and their opinions and their feelings, that you begin to ascribe to them not their dignity as a person made in the image of God, but their idea that how could you ever think this way? And we begin to slowly dehumanize them and treat them as a point to be debated, to be destroyed. I'm going to be right How could you think that way? How could you do this? I mean, can you believe them? Without empathy, we diminish. We become overly sensitive in the way people treat us, and we become insensitive in the way we treat others. You experience this? Somebody comes along to you and says something really harsh or rude, offensive, hurts your feelings, in your mind, maybe you say it out loud even, and you say, how could you say that to me? I mean, where do you get off? And then five seconds later, you bleepity bleep, bleep, bleep. I mean, overly sensitive in the way people treat us, but completely insensitive in the way we treat others, right? How could you say this to me, you awful, no-good person? Without empathy, we either elevate but we diminish, and we can't have healthy conflict that way. But with empathy, with being on the same playing field, and just saying this, even if you're completely different than that person, they're Republican and you're Democrat. They watch Fox News and you watch CNN. At home, they fold their clothes, you like to hang them up. They push all the toothpaste to the end of the toothpaste holder, and you just do whatever you want. You have no, nothing seemingly to relate to that other person. But even in that moment, you can empathize. How? Because even in that moment, in that conflict, you are a person made in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth. They are a person, not a point, they're a person made in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth. If you're a Christian and you're both Christians, you have more than that. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't just share a last name, you share the name that is above every name in Jesus Christ. So even when it seems like you're at complete odds with your spouse, with your friend, with somebody in our church, you can empathize with them. And then you are freed up to say something like this Hey, hey, I can see how you would feel that way. Hey, I'm not fully there yet. In fact, I may just disagree with you, but help me understand how you could feel this way. Help me rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. With empathy, it levels the playing field where we can actually deal with the conflict. And that brings us to our second point, that healthy conflict requires humility in responding. Look back at verse 16 with me. Verse 16 says this, Live in harmony with one another. So that's the goal, right? Harmony, unified relationships. That's the goal. How does it happen? He tells us, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That unity happens through humility. It's what enables us to do what verse 17 says. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Notice in humility, there's still something to do. Sometimes we think of humility as passivity, right? Humility says in the midst of conflict, like, she said something to me, he said this to me, I just, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Man, I don't want to come across judgy. It's really not that big a deal. And we sort of move on. That's passivity, not humility. Paul says you still do something in the midst of humility. It's just that you don't retaliate, You reconcile. What you do is not to get back, repay evil for evil, seek revenge. It's it's to reconcile. And so what does that look like? Uh, Ephesians 4, one of my favorite verses that, in fact, we've talked about several times over the last few weeks. says, speak the truth in love. I know a pastor who breaks that down, that statement down into those words, speak truth and love. It says, hey, this is the way we navigate conflict. So I want to do that just real quickly for you. Of what does this look like practically? Because this isn't hypothetical. Right? Some of you argued with your spouse coming in this morning. Some of you right now don't look around or at odds with another person. And they don't even know it. Right? Just keep looking at me. This is not hypothetical. This is practical, and so we want to get practical. Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. So the first thing is is speak. You have to decide, do I need to speak? In humility, do I need to speak about this? Do I need to address the conflict? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Proverbs 19 says, it is your glory to overlook an offense. That we live under an umbrella of grace, especially as Christians. And in that umbrella of grace, with your spouse, with your neighbor, with your brother and sister in this room... There's sometimes where somebody says something to you, and and listen, you could go back at them. You could talk about that, but you just chalk that up and say, hey, maybe they were tired. Is that that big a deal? Is that really what they said, or is that what I'm dealing with, right? And there's glory in that, to overlook an offense, not to bring up everything someone says and keep score. There's there's glory in not uh, keeping track of offenses. But in the same way, you honestly have to ask, can I overlook it? right? Can I overlook it? In humility, can I really overlook this? And, and how do you know if you can overlook it or not? There's a couple ways. Uh, we've all been there. If you are replaying a conversation in your mind, uh, one where somebody said something to you, hurt your feelings, did something to you, didn't do something that you wanted them to do, and you're replaying that a few days later, right? You've been there? You're replaying that, and you're like, she said this, he did this, he didn't do this, and then in your imagination, you're like, and then I did this, and then I brought this one-line zinger. And in your imagination, you're playing that, you're like, and they were crying. And I was standing over them like, that's right. You don't know me. If you're doing that, you probably can't overlook that offense, right? You probably need to, to speak. If every time you see that person's face, you want to shove it, you probably can't overlook that offense, you just see that person and just wells up within you, bitterness and anger, and how could they, and look at you, you think you, probably need to speak that, right? You probably can't overlook that, so how do you know you, you speak if you can't overlook that offense? Now, our natural inclina- inclination is not to do this. Our natural inclina- inclination is not to address conflict, it's to avoid conflict. And it didn't just start with you and me. This was from the very begin- beginning in Genesis Right. What did Adam and Eve do in their first conflict? They hid, right? They, they avoided. They didn't address it. And listen, we do this today. I see it all the time. If there's conflict with somebody, they come to me, they're telling me about it. I, I just say, hey, have you thought about talking to that other person? And it's funny, their look on their face, they're like, no, no. But you're really hurt by this. You're really hurt by what they said, did to you, or didn't do. Maybe you should talk to them. I can never do that. I don't want to come across judgy or self-righteous. Like, I don't want to stir it up. Maybe it's not that big a deal. And so instead of, listen, instead of going to talk to someone and speak, we go talk to about eight other of our friends. And we pray for them. And that becomes gossip out of avoiding conflict instead of addressing it. I've experienced this personally. Um, I know some of you are thinking, Tim, you're a pastor. You don't experience conflict. Listen, I've been unfriended on Facebook too, all right? (laughs) I deal with this, right? And so I've had people come to me in the past and say, get coffee with me. And say, hey, Tim, you know what? I mean, it's hard to tell you this, but like a couple years ago, I hated you. Like you didn't call me back or you did this and you said this. And man, I just... I hated you for a long time, and I just want to apologize for that. And in that moment, I'm like, "Thank you." I and honestly, my heart breaks at that moment because two years later, what can I do? I don't even remember the offense, and I just wish, like, would you have just come to me that little? And they acknowledged it was a little thing. It was such a stupid thing. I should have come to you. And my heart breaks, and you know this. You've experienced this, right? It's like, man, we could have dealt with that right then instead of allowing that bitterness to well up and ball up over the course of years and be where we are today, disconnected. And so this, this happens uh, in life. This happens in marriage. I think one of the most common places we see this. We don't address an offense in the moment. We don't keep a short account. We just allow things to build. And that's why there's marriage counseling. And that's why those people make a lot of money, right? Because instead of dealing with it day by day or week by week or small offense, it goes unaddressed, unresolved, and then it all blows up one day, right? You've been there? Like that day when you forget to pick up your towel and your wife comes in and she says, you never pick up your towel. And honestly, it's just like that moment in 2007 where you didn't pick up my mother either. And instead, you know what, you watched that game, and you didn't pick up my mom, just like you don't pick up this towel. And completely hypothetical, right? Never. That's not from personal experience. And we just let things build, and they build, and they build. And instead of being a small offense, it becomes a gigantic insult, obstacle to keeping a relationship. Leviticus 19 says this. It says, do not hate your neighbor in your heart. Do not hate your neighbor in your heart. How? Rebuke him frankly. Speak. Don't leave it unaddressed. Point it out. Man, how many of you have said before, man, a good friend of mine, man, they can just tell me when I'm wrong. They can tell me when I have something stuck in my teeth. Right? You speak. That's the most loving thing you can do. And see, some of us, when we say, like, I don't want to be judgy, I don't want to be self-righteous, I don't want to stir this up, we're not loving them in that moment. We're loving us. Because we think, well, I don't want them to think this way about me. I mean, they're not gonna like me anymore if I speak. Who are you loving? Yourself. You're not loving them. Like they still got that speck in their eye. You need to get it out. Because you you speak. Proverbs 27: iron sharpens iron. Listen, nobody's saying this is going to be easy. Nobody's saying they're going to love you and thank you. Thank thank you for bringing that offense to me. Right? Nobody's saying that's going to happen. It's not going to be joyful in the moment, but it's going to be good in the long run. Just like iron sharpening iron. How does that happen? You have iron slamming into one another. Violent process, to be honest with you. But what's happening in the midst of that? You're sharpening each other. You, you need that. We need that as we deal with conflict. We need to, to speak. And then we need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth. What does that mean? We speak in specifics, not generalities, right That, that sometimes when we do speak, we just say how we feel and we, we ascribe motives to, motives to how they feel and like, "I know why you did that, and I've known for a long time you've been wanting to say that, haven't you? Was that the truth? You don't know. You know what they said, what they did. So you don't come to somebody and say, "Pastor Tim said we need to speak." So after service, I'm going to beeline to this other person. Hey, you are so prideful. Is that the truth? Maybe. How? How am I prideful? How would I even address that? Okay, thanks. I'm prideful. I guess I'll go be humble. You speak in specifics, not. Generalities, you get to the truth of the matter. You address the root, not just the fruit. Matthew 15, 18 through 20 says most often external conflict is rooted in internal pain. Right? You can think, well, they said this, and that's all it was, and my boss did this, and I didn't get that promotion. That's not the conflict. Well, what's the truth? The conflict is that you have a desire for approval in an unhealthy way because of a past experience, a past boyfriend, whatever the case is, and there's, there's something that you never dealt with. Address that, speak truth. And this is difficult, right? Again, we're doing a series on this, not because it's easy, but because we need this. It's difficult to navigate. And so we need prayer and wise counsel in the midst of this to get clarity. What is the truth? Have you ever been there? Like, I don't know the truth. I just know how I feel, So that's where prayer and wise counsel comes in. Look at the last part of verse 16. It says, never be wise in your own sight. Like, go to some godly friends, not to spread gossip, but to seek wisdom. There is a difference. Go to a a few close people, your pastor or somebody, your community leader, and say, hey, here's what I'm hearing from this person. Here's what I'm experiencing in my marriage. Can you just help me discern what's true and what's not? Because i got a whole lot of emotions going on. Right? Don't be wise in your own sight. Go to other people so you can speak the truth. Lastly, we speak the truth in love. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't defend and deflect. We repent and forgive. In the midst of conflict, as we decide to speak, we speak the truth, and we do it in love. We own any part that we may have to own in confession and repentance. In love, we go to someone and say, hey, what you said... What you did. Hey, can we just take a moment to talk about that? That that, that hurts, you know? But I I know for me, um, I was having a tough day, and I just want to apologize for any part. I may have played in that. You know, even if it's the 10%, don't say, I apologize for the 10%, right? (laughs) But even if it is only 10%, they got 90, you you don't say the percentage. Don't do math on them, right? Um, Just say, hey, I want to own my part in this. I, I know I'm not innocent in this. In love, do that. In love, pick the right time to speak the truth. Right? That's a loving thing to do. Right? So, so wives, if your husband's coming home from a day of work and you got some beef with him, and as soon as he walks in the door, you're like, hey, glad you're here. <laughs> Why, is dinner ready? No, but I'm ready. <laughs> right, let's throw down. Right? In love, pick the right time. Husbands, don't don't come home after a few days of work off somewhere else and you come home and your wife's been dealing with the kids all week by herself, surviving, and you walk in the door, hey honey, I'm home, glad you're here. Hey, you know what I was thinking about is uh, all the things that I find uh, unhelpful about the way you do this. Don't do that, right? just let me save you, husbands, don't do that why? That's not loving. That's not speaking the truth. Well, I spoke the truth. You picked the worst time possible. That's not loving. That's a recipe for disaster. In love, you give a kindness before you give a complaint. Have you ever seen this or done this, and it just, you give, you got some complaint, I got some beef, but first, man, I love you. Again, I relate to you. We're on the same playing field. You're a person in the image of God. You're a Christian. You're my wife. You're my friend. Hey, I love you, and so I just want to talk about this, right? You ever seen that happen? It just completely disarms that other person. Maybe they are ready to rumble, but you say, hey, something kind before my complaint, and it disarms the situation. I know the other day it wasn't a a complaint, but there was a guy at the office that I work at. And he came up to me, and I haven't seen him in a long time, but we used to sit next to each other at this office space. And he comes up to me, and he says, hey, Tim, right? Like, we used to work right next door to each other. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember you. And I told him, like, man, I almost didn't recognize you. You are so thin now. Because he, he looked like a completely different person. And in that moment, he said, you know what? You look thin, too. And in that moment, that kindness, if we would had beef, it would have disarmed it, Right? Because all I 'm thinking about is, ah, I have been working out. <laughs> I mean I mean I wasn 't going to say anything, but now you did, so I mean, thank you, and that 's all I can think about for the rest of the day is how thin I am. <laughs> you speak the truth, and you do it in love. you pick the right time, you own your part, you bring kindness before your complaint. And, and some of us are asking, okay, uh, Tim, that's easier to say, harder to do like um, how do we get this kind of power? Like, I, I don't know, right? Because you're, you're thinking about it right now, who you're at conflict with. You're thinking about that argument with your spouse. You're thinking about that gap between you and your spouse. You're thinking about that conflict with that friend, with that conflict with this person in this room. Empathy and understanding, humility and responding to him. Like, how do we get to speaking the truth in love like this? And that's where the gospel comes in. You see, we were in conflict with Jesus. We were enemies, scripture says, Ephesians 2, of Jesus. As we look to Jesus, how does he respond in the midst of that conflict? He, he's perfect in empathy. He doesn't just say in sympathy from far away, hey, I know what that must be like, that sin. Hey, good luck with that. I know that must be hard. He doesn't just sympathize with us. He perfectly empathizes with us. He comes to us. He doesn't even just meet us halfway. He goes all the way to the cross. He becomes a man. He empathizes. He doesn't just say, I know what it's like to be you. He becomes us. Taking on the form of man. Going to the cross. And then in humility... He perfectly responds, right? He doesn't repay us for uh, our offense. He pays for our offense on the cross perfectly in a way that you and I never could. And then he rises in power over conflict and over offenses, the ones you have committed, the ones you haven't committed yet the ones you've thought about committing, the ones that if we were to put up on a screen, all the thoughts that you've had of other people that Jesus paid for, didn't repay for. He paid for all of those offenses, thought, action, will, word, deed. Where do we get the power? Where do we get the tools to engage in healthy conflict? It's not within you. It's above you. It's Jesus Christ Christ working through you and around you to bring his perfect empathy, his perfect peace, his perfect humility in the midst of your real situation. The peace he makes vertically extends horizontally and therefore we can be at peace. And so verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, make peace with all people. Listen, can I just tell you, I'm so glad that it doesn't just say, as far as it depends on you, make peace, or rather, just make peace with all people. I'm so glad it doesn't just say that. I'm so glad it gives the caveat, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Because even as I say all this, I know that there are situations where you're like thinking, Tim, I've tried. I've tried, and it doesn't seem possible. Well, Paul leaves room for that. That there could be the exception where peace is not possible. Maybe you've spoken the truth in love over and over and over again and it hasn't been received, as far as it depends on you. It takes two, right? And so maybe you're thinking, I've tried to do that. Maybe for some of you, and listen, this is really important that you know this, in abuse or manipulation, you think, well, I I love them, and so I have to keep going back. Forgive seven times, Peter? No, 70 times seven. Like, I have to just keep going back to the spouse who's verbally, physically abusing me. No, you don't, if possible, so far as it depends on you if you can't engage in conflict in a healthy way because there's harm after you in that moment, you don't just step back, you you step out. You get safe. You bring some other people into that scenario. That's what Matthew 18 tells us, that you bring somebody else. You go to the elders of the church and you say, hey, I am incapable of handling this on my own. I need somebody else to help make peace. So if any of you are in those situations, you need to know, Love in that moment isn't continuing to go down that road where you are harmed. That's not helping the other person, and that's not helping you. God disciplines the ones that he loves. Romans 1 tells us eventually he gives us over to the lust of our desires, that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is step out, is allow others to engage. It doesn't mean you wash your hands of that, but it means you fix your eyes on Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker. That he's your your savior, that he's gonna help them, he's your advocate, 1 John 2, 1 says. That he's making your case better than you ever could, and trust it to him. Trust in a peacemaking God. Now, I know as I say that, a lot of us are thinking, well, Tim, does that mean I'm off the hook? Right? Because I don't know if it is possible with my boss to make peace. I mean, this, this woman, I don't know if it's possible. So far as it depends on you. I mean, I did try that one time. How'd you try? Well, I sent her a text. I I bought her flowers. How many times? Well, just once, and she didn't forgive and forget. Like, maybe I did what I could. No. Most often, there are some exceptions. But most often, you're not one of them. Most often... We want to write it off and say, hey, maybe it's impossible, but God is saying, no, it is possible, and it's, impo- it's possible through me. Trust me. Fix your eyes on me, and then you can speak the truth in love. You can empathize, and you can respond in humility. How? Because you're looking to the perfect empathy and humility of your Savior in those moments. So don't write it off too easily. Don't think you're the exception. Talk about that with other people. Engage in that with God and then begin to resolve conflict healthily so you can have meaningful, lasting relationships that change you and change others. Let's take a moment to consider that. Father in heaven, I do pray as we, as we think about real people in this room that we have conflict with, uh, people outside of this room that we have conflict with, God, that you would help us by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus just to assess that honestly, can we, can we overlook that? Is that something we're taking offense too strongly to? Or is there real conflict there? H- how do we make peace? H- how do we humble ourselves? God, I pray that we would begin to think about those specific situations in our life. And God, as we look at those situations horizontally, we would look at our situation vertically and how you handled conflict with us. And we would respond with the peace of Jesus Christ the peace made possible by his life, his death, his resurrection on our behalf, that we would extend that out to others. And we wouldn't go a day without addressing that. That the conflict, unresolved conflict, God, that it hinders our worship, you tell us, it hinders our witness, that it's not worth just being passive and saying one day it'll, it'll all work out or time will heal all wounds because it won't. That You have called us in this moment, in this sermon, on this Sunday, to hear this message, so that we might respond and help make peace amidst conflict. And you have equipped us for that. God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done to make peace with us so we can make peace with others. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.